Hey, welcome back to another episode of Parker's Pensies. I'm your host, Parker Sedicase, and this is a podcast where we explore all the deepest ideas in philosophy, theology, nature, and life. I love thinking about cool stuff, so come think with me. For those uh, lis- listening after the fact, this is a very special episode, another one. Uh, it's a live stream, and I have with me Dr. Thomas Bogardis, Associate Professor of Philosophy at Pepperdine University. We're going to be talking about the mind. I'm pretty stoked about this. Uh, we're going to go through a couple questions that I pulled from his dissertation, and then we're going to answer, hopefully, if anyone's listening, uh, your questions. If not, I have a bunch that I have for him, just a philosophy of mind Q&A. And so we'll be, again, we'll be uh, pulling from his dissertation to get the juices flowing, and then we'll dive in even deeper on random rabbit holes. So I've been meaning to do this for a while, meaning to get him on. I'm really excited for it. Before we jump in, though, I want to thank everyone who's making this podcast happen over on Patreon. If you uh, if you like this show, if you want to see me keep doing this, then please consider become a, becoming a Patreon patron. You can find the link in the description wherever you're getting this at. And uh, there's all different amounts that you can give. We're working on a lot of new stuff for the patrons, so uh, jump in. Uh, that would be awesome. Another way is after the fact, you can give down here. You can click a uh, super thanks, super thanks button. And uh, that's another just great way to to give a tip or whatever. Uh, if you appreciate the podcast, uh, we are live now for anyone listening. Uh, you can do super chats, which also help support the channel and uh, highlight your comment or your question so we can see those more easily. So please do that. That'd be great. Um, but without further ado, let's bring in Dr. Thomas Bogardis. Thomas, thanks so much for coming to the podcast, man. Thanks, Parker. Backstage, I was twisting my mustache up a little <laughs> bit so we could, oh, so we man. could match a little more. That's fantastic. I love a that. A little mustache envy back there. So good. Um, dude, you look totally different than uh, some of your other pictures. I love it. This this look you got going on right now, the beard, everything, it looks amazing. Uh, yeah, there's Google Google has a long memory and a lot of <laughs> pictures stick around in Google images for uh, that picture they used on that modern day debate thing. It was literally from my first day at Pepperdine and that was 10 years ago now. <laughs> so I had like just stubble and I look all young and fresh. Yeah. Um, and then the video comes on and they see what I really look like. And they're like, whoa, <laughs> that's amazing. That's right. I, I can't believe you've been there for 10 years. That's crazy. That's uh, that is you're, crazy. you're still a young man. This is wild. You must've just like burned through your uh, PhD there. Did you do an uh, MA in philosophy? I did. So no, I wasn't the youngest one in the PhD program. Um, I think I started when I was uh, 20, I just turned 24, I guess is when okay. I started my PhD. So not unusually young, I think. Yeah. Wow. Some people come straight from their bachelor's programs, and so they're pretty young. Yeah. Um, well, I have to talk about this before we jump in, but we we talked uh, on Instagram, and you said that you, you're into Nogi Jiu-Jitsu. That's How long right. have you been doing that? Um, I think I started that in 2015. Okay. Yeah. So um, I know that you wrestle, um, yeah. and I, I wanted to ask you when you started wrestling. I didn't start wrestling until high school. Okay. Fortunately, I, I didn't come from a wrestling family. I didn't really know about wrestling. Um, so I didn't start until high school. Um, and then I was able to do a little more in grad school at the University of Texas. They just have like a, they have a club. They don't have a team. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, so anybody can just walk in. So <laughs> yeah. when I say I like, um, when I say I would train with them, that, that's not saying much. Anybody could walk in. Um, but it was nice to wrestle and I just really liked grappling. And for some reason, that's like the only sport that's really come naturally to me, I think. Okay. But yeah, 
just want a quick can. If that sounded like a brag, it's not. I'm just saying. Like, <laughs> I'm not saying I'm good at it, but that's the best. I don't know. It's the that's the sport that came most naturally to me. So I really yeah. enjoyed it, and I wanted to keep doing it. And I didn't really know about jujitsu, um, and so like I kept looking for wrestling clubs for adults, and there just aren't that many of those. No, <laughs> no there's not. Um, yeah, and then we moved to our current house, and a jujitsu gym opened up just like on my commute, and so every day I'd be like. I wonder what that is. (laughs) And then one Saturday, I worked up the courage to go in there. And um, yeah, you know, got I got choked a lot. Well, they 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 asked, like, do you want to put this gi on or you could just train in what you're wearing and it'll be like wrestling. And I was like, yeah, guess what I'm more comfortable with. Yeah, (laughs) right. I I don't know about those pajamas. I think I'll just wear what I'm wearing. Um, And then, yeah, I just got choked a lot, you know, um, had a lot of like instincts from wrestling that get you in trouble in jujitsu but i was was just really impressed because there were all these dangers that i didn't know about in wrestling that i was always like putting myself in danger but i didn't realize it in wrestling and then these people were making me aware of that and um i wanted to learn that skill and so yeah yeah i've been doing it ever since and i mean i wish i had started all of this sooner but i'm happy i got to it um later rather than never yeah. Well, so are you uh are you purple or brown or I am a purple belt. Nice, man. Yeah. Deadly. I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't really have a gym anymore. The gym I was training at regularly closed during COVID. Dang it. And then yeah, it was a bummer. And then um since then I've just been sort of dropping well, we were training in my garage for a while. I have some um I have a like very legit wrestling friend who hooked me up with some really nice mats and I have a pretty big garage. And so we were able to just put the mats down in the garage and that's what got us through COVID. Are we allowed to say that yet? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. Just jinxed it. Training the whole time. Um, So that's what we were doing during COVID. And then people started going back to their own gyms and a friend of mine opened a gym. And so I've just been kind of like dropping in at friends' gyms and open mats. And I guess I should actually join a gym. Yeah, man, this uh, th- we gotta roll sometime. That'd be fantastic. I'd love that philosophy and, and jujitsu. Are you in Florida? Is that where you are? No, I'm up in Chicago land. Hope the listeners oh. don't dox me and come kill me or anything. Oh no, sorry. <laughs> so, well, they just have a general idea. I thought well, I thought you were in Florida for some reason. I, I go down there for uh, PBA. I, I'm in oh. school, but uh, I only go down a couple times a year and then do some extension stuff. Okay, well, it's still pretty far away, but sure, we're, we're <laughs> in the same town. That's right. Sometimes. That's right. Awesome. Well, um, all right, man. So I wanted to find out how you, uh, I've heard how you got into philosophy a couple of times, but why, uh, why philosophy of mind? Was that, yeah. Was that because of the neuroscience stuff or what got you interested in that? Yeah. Well, I think, um, as a child, I had sort of natural inclinations towards philosophy. I was a sort of kid who, I mean, I wouldn't dwell on death. I wasn't depressed or anything, but I would, you know, think about death and God and, um, mortality. I really liked math and science because of what I perceived to be, there were like, you know, rules and a structure. And according to Myers-Briggs, that personality test, I don't know how reliable that is, but according to Myers-Briggs, I have this archetype, um, INTJ personality type, Okay. which like, I guess these sort of people like system building and understanding systems. And so a lot of them become mm-hmm. architects and engineers and that sort of thing. Um, but the sort of things I was interested, I was raised Christian. And so, you know, naturally I was interested in all the, this theological system I was being taught. So that was one of the first things I started thinking about philosophically. 
Um, I remember, I mean, I think a lot of kids have philosophical thoughts and I, I have a pretty vivid memory of the first time I thought about like inverted qualia stuff. Nice, um, of course. Yeah. yeah. And I thought like, why, why has no one mentioned this before? Why is no one talking about this? Um, but then, yeah, I just tucked it away because nobody in my life was really interested in philosophy, which is fine. But um, it wasn't until college when I discovered that this was a thing. Yeah. And really, at first, I didn't even know that it was called philosophy. I just was happy to find people who had similar sorts of thoughts and were willing to talk about it. And these were the kinds of things that um, I would stay up late into the night talking with my friends about. We would have these theological and philosophical conversations. Um, but I didn't really know this was something you could do or pursue seriously. I remember I had a friend who took a logic class as an undergrad and I was very jealous and hmm. like insecure. I was like, oh man, there's, there are these people out there with this power yeah, <laughs> and I don't have it and I really want it, but I'm on this biology track. I can't take logic. Um, but then, yeah, I decided um, after I finished my biology degree, um, I thought, oh, I heard about a master's program at Biola University, which didn't require an undergraduate degree. Um, and so I thought maybe I'll just get this philosophy thing out of my system. Yeah. Go, go get that master's degree, um, see what it's all about, answer all my questions. <laughs> totally won't suck you in for the rest of your life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I'll, you know, go, go to medical school or whatever. Um, but it did, yeah, it sucked me in and, you know, one, one thing led to another and here, here I am. But, um, I guess I should also mention, so one, one avenue into philosophy was like theology and philosophy of religion because I was, as I said, raised religious. And so I had questions and thoughts about that sort of thing. Um, but then also because I was interested in biology, I, I started taking cognitive science classes as an undergrad. UC San Diego, I think was the first university with a cognitive science department. Thanks oh. in part to the Churchlands down there, you know? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and one of the classes I took was just straight up a philosophy of mind class. I didn't really know that when I signed up, but there was a lot of philosophy of mind in there. And, um, I was fascinated by that. And I think what really, I guess if, yeah, what really motivated me to study more of it was the, the way dualism was so quickly and smugly dismissed. I yeah. Think. That's what bothered me. Um, and I thought the arguments were really bad and just way too fast. And um, like I realized, oh yeah, I, I think a lot of people who come into philosophy of mind classes come in with a kind of common sense dualism. And so did I. And then I was just really, um disappointed by how quickly and as i said with a with a bit of smugness dismissed and yeah. so that that triggered me as the kids say um <laughs> i thought there was there's something wrong here and uh there's something these people aren't telling me and i'd like to know what it is because this seems really important to me and so that's another reason why i got into philosophy okay yeah i've uh, i found uh the smugness the uh writing off substance dualism uh is Finally, I guess, made it its way over to theology as well. When I was working on uh, a couple degrees at TEDS, it was like, it's super cool for like an, an Old Testament uh, prof or, or student to be like, oh, substance dualism. Can you believe people use the Old Testament in support of substance dualism? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And then that was like a lot of pastors as well will say something like, well, you know, we're not brains on sticks. Uh, and uh, yeah, we're a psychosomatic unity. And I'm like, well, what's that? And they're like, it's not substance dualism, <laughs> like whatever. <laughs> That's the important thing. Yeah. yeah right. Right. Yeah. Um, so I'm 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 pumped to see. Like I, I think there's a lot more. Uh, I think there's a lot. Like in the next generation after 
the boomers, maybe maybe uh, older uh, millennials, you guys are like kind of going to town on some substance dualism stuff. I really appreciate it. All right. Yeah. I mean, I think in a healthy kind of university environment, that's the way it goes. Like people mm. coming up through grad school, what they want most of all is to disprove <laughs> their elders. You know, they want to like <laughs> knock them off their pedestals and upset things, turn over the tables, start a revolution. Yeah. Um, that's what happens, I think. You at least want a little bit of that. I guess you want to balance between revolutionaries and, I don't know, reactionaries. Is that the opposite? Yeah. Um, but yeah, these days in the university, I don't know. There's not enough. I don't think people feel free to dissent. Um, mm. It's been much more of a chilling effect. And so, I mean, although most people in the university consider themselves revolutionaries, there's no, there's no dissent in this revolution. Right. There's no, there are no contrary voices or very few, I should say very few. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, so I want to jump in on, on some substance dualism type stuff. Uh, I, I looked over your dissertation. It's pretty awesome. Uh, the, the title is an epistemological approach to the mind body problem. Yeah. And so we're going to be talking a lot about like substance dualism and dualisms. And I thought maybe we could just start with some definitions. Uh, what, what, what is substance dualism and what, how is it different than property dualism? All right. Well, I think um, <clears throat> the nutshell version, the, the explanation I give to students in class when we're talking about this is there are at least two questions you might be interested in when you study philosophy of mind. One is, um, what are you? And then another one is, like, what are your mental states or your mm -hmm. mental properties? Things like sensations and beliefs and desires and goals and plans and so on. What are these things and how do we fit them into a physical world. If, if they fit into a physical world, how do they fit into a physical world? Um, so I think philosophers of mind traditionally have been interested in both of those questions. Um, what are you, what's a person? Um, and you know, what are your mental states? And uh, you can give physicalist answers to both of these or neither of these, or um, just one of these. And the property dualist is somebody who says in response to the, what are you question, uh, the property dualist says, um, the, I should say, the mere property dualist says, um, you are a physical object. Um, so you are your body or maybe just some part of your body, like your brain. Uh, that's what you are. So you are a physical object. But what makes them a dualist about properties is they say, well, these mental properties that you have, um, they are not reducible to physical properties. They're not, they can't really be located in the physical world. We can't reduce them or identify with them, identify them with anything that would be, um, yeah, that would count as physical. Um, so they're dualists about those properties. They think that if I, if property dualists were talking to me, they'd say, you just are that physical object there, or maybe some part of it, like the brain. Yeah. Um, but this brain has something very interesting about it. It has physical properties, like, you know, has certain number of neurons firing in a certain way, sending chemicals across synapses and so on. So we could describe the brain in all these physical terms. And I guess that's what um, the Churchlands are up to down in, uh, down in the philosophy of brain department at UC San Diego. Um, but also the property dualist says um, there are these mental properties that are had by brains that are instantiated by brains like being in pain yeah. or tasting banana. Um, these are properties of brains. It's brains that experience those things. It's brains that taste banana and it's brains that feel pain. Yeah. Um, but these properties aren't physical properties. Okay, so 
That's what property dualism is. Substance dualism um, says the same thing about mental. Well, I guess not the same thing. They say that mental properties are not reducible to physical properties, but these these mental properties are not instantiated by brains. Um, they're instantiated by minds, and minds are not identical to physical objects. Yeah. Um, and you are a mind. Um, you are not your body. You're not your brain. You're not a physical object at all. Um, you are a non-physical thing that thinks. Um, you're, a, you're an immaterial mind. That's what substance dualism says. And you can call this a soul if you want, but I don't know. The word soul has like religious connotations. So it's typically just religious people who are comfortable with that word soul. Yeah. Um, but immaterial mind is fine. The sort of thing that could survive the death of your body. Fingers crossed. We'll see if it does. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, um, sticking on like uh, just a random one for you on property dualism. I, I, I can make sense of like emergent, emergentist views. On property dualism, like the, the the brain is physical, but the you know the mental properties are emergent. I just I don't know enough about property uh, dualism. Other like if it's not an emergent thing, if if mental properties aren't an emergent thing, then what? How could they? What's another story? Another property dualist story? I guess. Well, um, so I would just recommend for whatever it's worth. I think emergence is a word that should be avoided in the philosophy of mind um, okay. because it's it's just sort of unclear. Yeah. Um, and I mean, typically if people use this word, they distinguish between like weak and strong emergence. Uh -huh. And if you say that some property is weakly emergent from some other set of properties, then um, I think that means that there still might be like an identity there. Um, like, like whatever, like wetness is, is wetness weakly emergent from Ooh. H2O particles? Well, I guess it depends. I don't know. The, with the wetness conversation, I think it depends whether we're talking about like the felt quality of water, like that feeling, oh, yeah. um, or just the liquidity, like the ability of water molecules to slide past each other or whatever. Is that what it is to be I think, wet? Uh, yeah, I was thinking of that one. Yeah. yeah. So I, I guess um, H2O molecules do have some properties that aren't had by the oxygen or the hydrogen. I guess they've got... Uh, you know, believe it or not, at one time I was, was pretty good at chemistry. Um, but I remember, um, yeah, these H2O molecules are polar, right? There's a difference in charge. Um, like one side is positively charged, one side yeah. is negatively charged. And that's not true of the oxygen alone or the hydrogens where they alone. But when you put them together, you get this it's a dipole. It's a polar molecule. Oh, I thought it was different. dipolar, but I, dipole. that's dipolar. going a long that past. Okay. Yeah. yeah, long way, long way back. You you know what I mean, though. <laughs> um, but that would be like weakly emergent because you can explain why the molecule has these properties in terms of its constituents. So yeah, it's not like some weird new surprising thing popped up. Um, and if it's surprising, it would only be a result of our ignorance. But once we learn like everything there is to know about the hydrogen and the oxygen, we can see ah yes, here's why we get this electric phenomenon here, this difference in charge um, across the molecule. So although it's a property had by the molecule and not by any of its individual parts, um, it's like weakly emergent because we can't explain it in terms of the, the interactions of the parts. Okay, but a strongly emergent property would be totally different. It would, and it would be hard to find an example um, outside of psychology, outside of the mind. <laughs> I, that's what I hear people say. Yeah, yeah. they're like, well, outside, they, maybe a magnet, magnetic field, but not really. Like the, sometimes well, they'll pull back from that or they'll use I it guess, and pull back. 
Well, I guess there are examples from the history of science, like um, I'm told, and I'm pretty sure this is true. One, once upon a time, there were people who thought that uh, life was like strongly emergent. There was this vital force. Yeah, vitalists. Um, right? Yeah, vitalists. Um, and so they thought like, even if we understood all the machinery going on in an organism, in a cell, um, something would be left out. Something would be unexplained. And so they thought we had to posit this like new... Um, force like in in science that explains animation you know for for animate objects but um my impression is you know as we've learned more about living things we realize you know this can and uh, i know i think this is still controversial in some circles um especially among thomists but um my view anyway is like as soon as you just think about the simple living things like a little bacterium once you yeah. understand how all the little parts are interacting with each other, you can see this is just a complicated machine. It's just an organic machine and no vital force required. Yeah. And no, no that, soul required either. Well, for, well, I would say if we're using the word soul to refer to like an immaterial thing that thinks that has yeah. mental properties, then no, we just, we, those show up as soon as we have consciousness. Okay. Um, and I would have thought, um, with a little bacterium, no, we don't have any consciousness there. So no immaterial thing that thinks, but yeah, sometimes Thomas used the word soul in a, in a Aristotelian way. Right. Um, and so I think they'd say, yeah, you still have this little. Cause it, maybe, the soul is just like a form for, uh, the Thomas, right. And it yeah. would still have a form. Yeah. Okay. okay. Am I getting <laughs> you in trouble with the Thomas right now? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> yeah. And then you just have to figure out what the, what, what exactly a form is. Yeah, um, right. But yes, yeah. that's what that's what okay. Okay. We sorry, I took you pretty far downfield here. No, that's okay. Yeah. I'll just um, say I'm a great admirer of St. Thomas um and Aristotle. Okay. But I may have I don't know. I might have like idiosyncratic takes on what's what they must have meant by these words. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, this is a this is a little bit of a tangent. Okay. Um well, so your your dissertation is pretty wild because you get you get into like epistemic defeasibility, introspection, peer disagreement, uh, and even philosophical methodology, which is yeah. I mean, that's a lot. It was pretty cool. Your your committee is pretty awesome too. Uh, Michael Ty was your first uh, chair. I don't know how to say what what the language is. Reader. Yeah. Chair? Um, well, I had two advisors, two two right. chairs of yeah. the committee. They were co chairs, um, Michael Ty and Adam Pouts. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, I think it was a pretty solid committee and, um, I certainly got the full experience of being grilled <laughs> both <laughs> like at the prospectus defense stage and the dissertation defense stage. And I guess every stage in between, um, <laughs> the university of Texas, at least when I was there was, um, pretty old school argument based philosophy, hmm. philosophy with a sledgehammer. Um, although no, that's not quite right. It's much more surgical than that. It's like yeah. <laughs> philosophy with a sniper rifle. Maybe that's, <laughs> that's too violent. But um, they only have like one speed. You know, they they don't treat graduate students any differently than visiting speakers. As they just they just flip a switch and they're in philosophy mode. You know, and that yeah. means come up with the most devastating objections I can all the time and as many yeah. as I can. Um, and so yeah, it certainly wasn't for everybody, and it was very discouraging and probably traumatic for a lot of people, <laughs> and probably me too. But um, if you survive, I mean, it's sort of like a sink or swim environment. And if you if you learn how to swim, I think it's pretty good for you, and I would recommend it. Um, I'm, yeah, 
that's, that's so I, I good. hope there are I hope there are still programs where this happens, but yeah, well, I get it from Brandon Rickabaugh all the time, and uh, the nice. the devastation stuff is good. Paul Gould will, will hit me, and then later we'll talk, and he'll be like, "Hey, man, so how'd you how'd you do with that?" <laughs> He's so nice <laughs> and like kind to me. So yeah, big nice. shout out to to both of them. Um, well, so you you go in on some. Um, you, you say that uh, dualism strikes many philosophers as uh, being true upon hearing you know certain arguments or certain um, uh, intuition pumps or uh, uh, thought experiments. And, and then absent defeaters, we should believe what seems to be true to us. Um, yeah. How, I, so I'm wondering some philosophers be like, I don't think it's it seems true to me at all. You know, I don't. But what you're getting at there is just saying, like, no, intuitively, when you first hear, like, Mary's room or something like that, it seems like, yeah, like, physicalism is false and dualism is something like dualism is true, right? Yeah. Yeah. And this is just, um, like, in that chapter, which I think was, like, it's probably the main main part of the dissertation. That was the main argument. Um, and eventually, I did publish that as a self-standing paper called undefeated dualism. Uh, oh, nice. Okay. I was yeah. worried I didn't read that. I was like, oh, I, I should have read that before, but I no, read it in here. I think that's what it was called, undefeated dualism. Um, yeah, and it was just it was it was kind of autobiographical because it, it was just I was just kind of recounting my journey into the philosophy of mind. And what happened is, you know, I came into those cognitive science classes and those philosophy of mind classes with dualist intuitions, and mm -hmm. I don't think I was unusual. Um, and then I don't know if you've noticed this, but in philosophy, um, once it's settled, like who bears the burden of proof, it's kind of game over, you know, <laughs> it's, it's really hard to prove things positively in philosophy. It's much easier to play defense and play yeah. cross-examination and um, poke holes in arguments. Think of counterexamples. That's much easier than like trying to build a knockdown proof of something. And so, um, I, but I thought that was really the case. Like when it came to dualism, I thought we all sort of agreed that um, dualism seems true. And that's why there are all these longstanding famous thought experiments that help illustrate like what it is that seems true about dualism. And so in the in that chapter of the dissertation, um, I think I just used one in particular, one thought experiment in particular, but I tried to collect quotations from like hardcore physicalists, like Dan yeah. Dennett has some quotations expressing dualist intuitions. Of course, he rejects them later on, but he seems to concede or admit, I, I can just, re should we read the quotation? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. If you got them on hand. Uh, well, I have the dissertation open here. I hadn't read it in a long time. But when you said you wanted to talk about it, I opened it again. So I found it. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but in the dissertation, the margins are so wide. I did notice that. <laughs> it's because, <laughs> and it's pretty short. It's because like I had, I don't know how many chapters there are. I think there's like, Four, four I think. I, okay. yeah. I had it. I had another chapter. It wasn't like super related to what was happening, and so I had like asked my committee, "Do you think I should include it or not?" And they said no. And so mm. I was like, "Okay." Um, but then when I showed up to the dissertation defense, they were like, "This is pretty short." <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> "Come on, um, <laughs> like I asked you." 